0: Your brain might turn to putty, but there's still a chance to learn. We'll be your study buddies. We're going to talk about some stuff and make research cool. Hello and
1: welcome back to the 2021 version of Study Buddies, which is the same worth a podcast that brings you the latest in science and psychology. And
0: sometimes more.
1: My name is Paula Sanchez-Abreu.
0: And my name is Taylor Collins.
1: We're so freaking pumped to be back in a new year. Happy New Year!
0: (laughs) With you guys. Um, Seriously though, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Hopefully this year holds all of glorious joys and exciting new things that we did not get to have last year. Yes. So we're coming into 2021 expecting a... A power year.
1: Yes. And carrying through to twenty twenty one the balance that we hopefully found in twenty twenty. And if not, we shall keep searching for that balance. The Seesaw Balance. The Seesaw Balance. But alas. Very up and down. Um I'm feeling good. I'm in a I'm in a revamped closet studio NYC, so I'm really, really pumped about that. And we have a super dope
0: study for you guys today. We do. So what study are we cracking into on this fine 2021 day, Paula? Well, this study is called Loved and Lost or Never Loved at All, Lifelong Marital Histories
1: and Their Links with Subjective Well-Being. And so Ooh. this is a 2020 study. So it's super recent. Woohoo.
0: Okay. So how did this study, the idea for it, come about? Well, there has been a wealth of studies in the past that
1: suggest that married or lifelong paired people are happier than
0: single people. Mm. As a single person, I am not surprised by that. <laughs> 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 but a
1: lot of that existing research has only ever looked at married or single people at one point in their life and then measured their happiness at that particular point. And the researchers in this study were curious about the full marital-slash-relationship histories and how that full history contributes to life's happiness and satisfaction.
0: Okay. So I want you to tell me a little bit more about this, like, so-called link between marriage and well-being. Why are all the partnered people so happy with themselves. Like, is it because they found a forever match? Like, hooray for them, but why? (laughs) Well, throughout research
1: history on this subject, being married has been associated with emotional, social, and health benefits across the lifespan of a person. And The authors share an example that married people report less anxiety, depression, mental distress, they're healthier, live longer, adjust well to the onset of chronic illnesses, et cetera, et cetera. And like, well, that sounds all really, really dandy for married people. But there are many Mm -hmm. reasons for this association. And one of the most clear reasons being companionship. I mean, we're social beings, right? And oftentimes a life partner provides humans with companionship, which is key to well-being. But there are some other ideas about why the evidence is painting marriage in such a positive light.
0: So give us some juice on how singlehood still has a chance. Yeah. Was, does it? Well. well, it sure does. Some researchers have speculated
1: that the statistical association, the statistical positive association between marriage and subjective well-being has a lot to do with the comparison between divorced individuals and married people. So the idea is that divorced people as you might expect, typically report lower well-being than those who have not divorced. And that group alone, in comparison to married people may be the ones primarily driving that like statistical difference between marital status and then skewing the results. Okay. So right because there's a lot of different stressors associated with divorce. You've got social judgment, shared child care, um, economic difficulties and then not to mention all of the emotional distress that comes along with um, divorce. Yeah. Right. Right. And so it's likely that these stressors lowers an individual's well-being but That alone, that's not like the only – that shouldn't be skewing the results, you know, in the way that it it might have been in the past. Okay.
0: So it's – like you're saying basically there's so many different factors coming into this. Precisely. There's a ton of different factors.
1: Then there was also another possibility um, that marriage doesn't necessarily have a causal relationship with happiness. Like marriage doesn't make you happy.
0: Right. I can't just sign a document with someone (laughs) at town hall – And then, like, my happiness score goes up 20 points. Yeah,
1: you're not just going to sign that lifelong contract and then feel automatic joy. (laughs) I wish it worked that way. Right. Like,
0: like in Sims, it works that way. You know, you get, like, (laughs) happiness points that, like, last for, like, four days or something. If only we were Sims. Right. I wish.
1: But happiness in general may have to do more with, like, stable individual differences in people rather than marriage. So, in other words, Mm -hmm. perhaps people who are naturally happier are more likely to end up married. So there have been some studies. Wow. So those people
0: like have won the lottery.
1: (laughs) In a certain sense. You're naturally happier. You're married. You got it going on. Yeah. And then there have been some studies that have actually gathered evidence to support that, that happier people were more likely to enter into and maintain their marriage. And then this is my favorite um, other idea, that the well-being is not necessarily because of marriage, but your well-being could be because of the existence of any close interpersonal relationship with family or friends. And so it may just be that people that tend to get married also have really close and interpersonal relationships with family or friends. So singlehood definitely still has a chance with all of these above ideas in mind. However, at the end of the day, the statistics are still showing that Generally, married people report higher well-being than single, divorced, or widowed individuals.
0: Right. So you mentioned something earlier about how previous research looked at people in, like, one particular point in their life. So what does this mean, and how is this study different?
1: Yeah, so so many of the studies that I mentioned before and the research that I mentioned before, they only caught, like, a glimpse of married and non-married people at one point in time. And these studies, mm-hmm. when that when that happens, they're lacking the overall marital history or marital transitions, even that can affect an individual's subjective well-being. So, for example, divorce may be seen as a negative event, but in a study that looks at divorced individuals over a course of time, evidence shows that people experience lower life satisfaction before the divorce while their
0: t- while their status is technically still married. And then I could imagine if you're like arguing every day versus getting there's a reason you're getting the divorce.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So your well-being is going to be your your satisfaction, your life satisfaction is going to be lower. And then their well-being increases relative to their lowest point at the very end of their marriage. So when they're heading into that status of divorce, their well-being may actually increase. And now the evidence doesn't show that they return to like their baseline level of satisfaction before they were ever married but there's still a very clear ebb and flow of well-being throughout their marital history okay and then another reason that they wanted to look at well-being throughout several points in an individual's relationship or marital history was because other observations suggest that the differences in well-being of married people versus unmarried may not be as complete as the research suggests. So the associations between well-being and marital status varies a good amount across cultures, countries, generations even. And in recent years, some people are reporting more satisfaction in being single. So with all this in mind, (laughs) with all this in mind, yeah, represent Taylor. Um, (laughs) (laughs) With all this in mind, the researchers in this study felt that it was important to look at an individual's entire marital history over time to give a more complex and holistic view of that relationship between subjective well-being and marital status.
0: Okay, so break this down. How did they conduct this study? Well, well, well.
1: There were 7,532 participants and they were oh, yeah. all people I know it's just such a huge sample size and they were all people who responded who were respondents from the PSID which is the panel study of income dynamics and that is a longitudinal study that's followed a nationally representative sample of US individuals and their families since 1968 which is okay crazy so the participants for demographics were 54.2% women and 66.6% men, and then the racial ethnic breakdown was 68% white, 28.9% black, 1.7% Latino, and 0.7% other. And then in the data gathered by the PSID, the well-being information was only assessed and available for 3,530 participants. And in those 3,530 participants, the demographic breakdown was very similar to the total participants.
0: OK, so they, the actual study used 3,530 of this like larger data set. Exactly, yeah.
1: And then the average education level in both the full sample and the subsample was just over 13 years.
0: So how did
1: they measure this data? So, they were able to gather marital history data because the PSID's assessment of marital history began in 1985. So, participants in 1985 were asked to report their marital history previous to joining the PSID. And then, in following years, the participants reported annual marital status um, and history updates. And then they used age 60 as a cutoff to maximize their sample. So, they were really looking at
0: people's histories marital histories from the ages of 18 to 60 and how did they decide to measure this life satisfaction variable this made me crack up when i read this they just asked one simple question
1: <laughs> taylor please think about your life as a whole how satisfied are you with it and then they answered that question on a scale from 1 completely satisfied to five, not at all satisfied. And they assess this life satisfaction at five different points, 2009, 2011, 2013, 2015, and 2017. Okay. And then since they were focusing on life satisfaction at the end of the marital sequence that they analyzed, they used all the life satisfaction assessments available after 60 years old, if that makes sense.
0: So next up, I feel that there's going to be some fancy statistics to help us understand these life point data you're talking about. That's right, Taylor. We got some fancy statistics
1: on this episode. They did something called a sequence analysis, which basically analyzed all the similarities between the marital histories, and then they did a cluster analysis to figure out which clusters of marital history summarizes the data in the best way. And so after running these two analyses, they figured out that three clusters would be the best for this data set, and then the three different clusters were 79.3% of those people were consistently married. That's cluster 1. Okay. And consistently married were people who spent most of their adult lives married. Second cluster was consistently single, people who spent most of their adult lives single, and this in this sample was 7.86%. And then the third cluster was varied histories, people who moved in and out of different relationship states in their adult lives. And um, in this sample, it was 12.84%.
0: So how did they group these clusters? So these
1: clusters were identified by the length of time spent in each state. So... For example, the consistently married group also included people that have been widowed or divorced as well. What mattered most was the amount of time they spent in one state, and then they
0: categorized them into a certain cluster based on that amount of time. Okay. And how did the authors organize all of this data?
1: Then they did a linear regression to figure out how the life satisfaction came in, and they controlled, of course, for gender and education since these things have been known to impact life satisfaction in different ways, such as men are more likely to get remarried after divorce, people with lower education have shorter marriages, etc.
0: So, moment of truth, what did the authors find? I think we talked about it a little bit already, so I feel like I know what I'm about to get, get dished here.
1: Well... The authors found that people that were in the consistently single group reported comparatively lower life satisfaction um when compared to married people. And then they were also sure to change the reference group and looked at the consistently married group next to the varied histories group and they found Okay, so the people
0: who are in and out of relationships. Right.
1: And they found the same that people in the consistently married group reported higher levels of happiness when compared to the varied history group
0: so basically everyone that stayed single or went on and off between being single is just going to be less satisfied with their lives
1: well no the authors were sure to put it in context and to say that while the differences were significant they were still relatively small in magnitude so while the consistently married individuals had higher life satisfaction compared to the consistently single and varied histories groups there wasn't really a huge difference in life satisfaction between consistently singled and the varied history groups. So there's hope. Right.
0: You know, as I'm as we're as we're thinking about this, it's really making me think that they should have controlled for ownership of a cat. <laughs> yes, <laughs> because we talked about companionship. We talked about how important that is. I wonder if cats and dogs could be at an in a variable that impacts the results of these. Absolutely. But speaking of that, why don't we talk about what the limitations are of this study? Yeah, well, there are a couple limitations.
1: One, they didn't control for cats. Right. Two, their approach, uh, it leaves the possibility that there are changes in life satisfaction later in life since 60 is the cutoff age. So there's that. And then another limitation mm-hmm. with that limited age range is that It examines the isolated event of marital status and it leaves out like the context of many other life events that can impact your life satisfaction. Things like unemployment, disability, you know, being a parent, not being a parent. All of those things can um, impact your life satisfaction and that doesn't have anything necessarily to do with your
0: marital status or history. Right. So it's like... They did find these, this correlation and this association, but there's so many other variables that impact it that they weren't able to look at because they're using this like kind of pre-measured data set. Right. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So, you know, there is much further research to be done in this territory, but I'm super excited to talk about this next week on our Passing Notes episode. I feel like
0: um, we both may have a lot to
1: say about this (laughs) as young people in our 20s.
0: I fully agree. (laughs) Yeah. So Paola was able to reach out to one of the authors and we heard back from them in their perspective. So we asked them a couple questions and here are their responses. Hi
2: all, Uh, my name is Mariah Pearl. I'm a graduate student at Michigan State University um, and I'm gonna be answering a few questions about my loved or lost paper.
1: So we asked Mariah, What are the most salient points that you want people to take away from this article? And this is what you had to say. The big takeaway of the
2: article and something that we tried to carry through the entire paper um, was just that marriage and marital status is not the end-all be-all of happiness. Uh, My advisor and co-author Dr. Tropic, likes to point out that we had plenty of happy singles in our sample and plenty of married folks who weren't so happy. Uh, So just to kind of drive home the point, that your marital status is not damnably tied to your end of life satisfaction.
1: We also asked Mariah if she wanted to share any additional limitations that she found um, in the study or anything that she additionally wanted to change um, moving forward in her research. And this is what she had to say.
2: I think the downside of using this sort of methodology that zooms out and looks at an entire lifespan is that you lose those fine green details We can't really explain definitively why at the end of life these groups had different life satisfaction. Um, We didn't ask about other things like unemployment or marital satisfaction um, or children. These kind of big things that could impact how a marriage functions and how satisfied you are at the end of life. Um, So it's a definite trade-off. When you zoom out, you get to look at these awesome general patterns and see what shakes out. But you also lose um,
1: that more fine grain detail. Thank you so
0: much, Mariah, and we're so looking forward to hear more of what you have to say in our Passing Notes episode next week. That's it for today. Thank you so much for bringing this wonderful study in palettes. Really uh, interesting to know. You know, my fate of lower lip <laughs> satisfaction is uh, predetermined. So, <laughs> who who knows what what's in store for us? So right. Well, thank you for joining us this week. We'll see
1: you next Tuesday for another episode of Study Buddies. Bye, guys. Study Buddies was created by Paula Sanchez-Abreu and Taylor Collins. Our graphic design was done by Monica Ray Summers-Gonzalez, and our intro song was composed by singer-songwriter Caught in Between. You can follow Study Buddies on Instagram at studybuddies.com and email the show at studybuddiespodcast at gmail.com.